turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, if you will. And let me say while you're turning, we don't need to wait and wait and wait for God to work. We need to work. Anchor hope. We need to grow. We need to reach out to people who need the Lord. We need to encourage one another, lift up one another in prayer, grow spiritually, and do the work of God in our community. Sitting back and waiting and saying, we hope we can merge and get an influx of 70 people or whatever we get. We need to do God's work now. This is God's church. God is here today. And the great thing about you being here is it tells me that the Holy Spirit's here in all these lives indwelling you. And so that's what's holy about this place, not the sheetrock, but you being here. So let's worship the Lord in the preaching this morning from 2 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 4, and uh, we're going to read a verse there in chapter 4. We're going to read a verse in chapter 9, and we're going to read a verse in chapter 21. And so when you find chapter 4 and verse 4, stand with me. Chapter 4 and verse 4. And then we'll go to two other passages. Chapter 4 and verse 4 it says here, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame at his feet, or of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And look over to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 8. Here we find Mephibosheth before the king, before King David. And he bows himself, verse 8, and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? Refers to himself as a dead dog. We'll talk about dogs in a moment. Then over to chapter 21. In chapter 21, we're not going to look at this text today. We're going to be in chapter 9. But I wanted to point out one verse because we have this fall by Mephibosheth. We have the grace of God we'll see in chapter 9. But we also see the mercy of God. Because after Israel slaughtered the Gibeonites, the Gibeonites came to David, which was the right thing to do, and said, we, we want atonement made. Verse 3, David says, what shall I do for you and wherewith shall I make atonement? You know what they asked for? They said, let seven men of his sons be delivered. And I'm talking about Saul. Of his sons be delivered unto us so they could kill him. You know the story. Verse 7, but the king spared Mephibosheth. That's mercy, isn't it? He deserved death as we all deserve death, but the king spared him. We're going to look at chapter 9 in just a moment. Let's pray. God, thank you. For your word, always timely, always what we need because your Holy Spirit knows each heart today. And maybe the text won't apply to anyone's life, but the Holy Spirit will make application. We just pray you reign in this service, God, that we lift you up in the preaching in your son Jesus. And if we lift him up, he said he'll draw men to himself. God, I just pray that we draw all men to the Lord Jesus, and to you. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. First of all, we want to mention the fall of man. The Bible says Mephibosheth fell. And of course, we know the result of that was a miserable life. And we're going to compare that today as a type with the fall of mankind. The Bible says that Adam fell. 
Adam sinned. Because of his sin, we are all fallen people. Did you know that because of the sin of Adam, you too are a sinner? And without the Lord Jesus Christ, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're fallen. You're separated from God until you're saved and separated from God for eternity if you never do get saved. The Bible said, Death hath passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And you know that you've sinned. Satan, remember, originally fell from heaven. Then Adam fell into sin. And because of that, we're all born as sinners. Also as believers, let me just say this, you can also fall as a believer. The Bible tells you, take heed lest you fall. I don't mean you can lose your salvation, but you can fall into some pretty serious sin, as we even see in the lives of so many of our great Bible characters, David and Peter and others. And so, first of all, we we see the fall of man. And we see here, Mephibosheth says to David, he says to him, I've given, uh, excuse me, he says, verse 8, he says, why, why would you look upon me with favor? And I'm paraphrasing. I'm just a dead dog. In other words, he knew that his life was basically worthless. He was worthless. He was helpless. I mean, and he's a type of all sinners because when we're lost, we can't walk right. The Bible said God has to change our walk. I like the illustration of Jacob. Remember, he was crooked. He was deceiver is what his name meant. And God wrestled with him and and separated his thigh. It was out of joint. And he walked different the rest of his life. You know why? He met the Lord. When you meet the Lord, you'll walk different. But Mephibosheth is crippled. He's a type of the fall of man and all of us who can't walk right. And we find he, he, he gets the grace of God. He didn't get what he deserved, which was you know, hell and, and to be put to death with Saul's, Saul's, uh, you know, line of, of people who were put to death. He, he didn't get put to death. And here we find in chapter nine, the grace of God. So we, we see the mercy in chapter 21. Won't look at that today, but we're looking at the grace of God. Getting what he didn't deserve. That's the grace of God. Look at verse one. And David said, is there any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, we have to do a little word study here. The word kindness is the Hebrew word chesed. It's the only Hebrew word I can pronounce right because it's my favorite one. And this is a word that means a love that will not let go. And it means grace. That's the grace of God that never lets go. You know, when God starts to work on you, His grace starts to speak to you, and He he does good things to you. The Bible said the goodness of God leads people to repentance, and you start to realize that God's speaking to you, and you start to get under conviction, and before you know it, you're wanting to know about salvation. Maybe you're going to church, or you're asking questions. That's the grace of God. And that's His kindness. And I love it. We find it so often in Scripture. Do you know God showed kindness to the Assyrians in Jonah? The Bible said He showed kindness to them by not destroying them when they deserved to be destroyed. And we find that God was also kind to Jonah, who was running from God, and He had great patience and kindness towards Jonah. But the greatest example, and I mentioned it in the past, and one day I'll have to preach that text, but we know the kindness of God towards Hosea, and especially towards Gomer. Gomer was his wife's name. Odd wife, odd name for a wife, but the Hebrew meant something different than Gomer means in the English. But he had Gomer, and Gomer ran out on him. 
and had kids with other men. And, you know, she was totally worthless. And she left him, and he found her for sale in the marketplace, and he paid full price for her because he loved her. That's kindness. He loved her, and he bought her back. And she's just like the bride of Christ. Jesus, or New Testament, excuse me, James says, not Jesus, but it is the Word of God, says you adulterers and adulteresses. Know you not that when you love the world, you're cheating on me. That's why he calls us adulteresses and adulterers. Adulterers and adulteresses because when we love other things, we're cheating on God. And yet he never lets go. The grace of God never lets go. He's so gracious to all of us. He's so gracious to me. And so we find this kindness. He says, I want to show someone kindness for Jonathan's sake. Oh, what an awesome type. Do you know that God shows us kindness for Jesus' sake? Do you know Jesus went to the cross for me? He paid my sin debt. And God is gracious towards me for Jesus' sake. Because Jesus, as a mediator, says, God, He's repented. That's under the blood. And He forever sits at the side of God, making intercession for me and for you. It's special to me because I'm the one Jesus loved. You say, what do you mean, Brother Dan? I feel like John sometimes. How Jesus loves me. John felt how he loved him. He loves all of us. But I know he must love me to put up with me sometimes. And his grace and mercy. And he doesn't harbor my sinful past against me. And when I sin in the present and I confess it, his grace is bestowed upon me. And he does it because, God does it because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. And here we find, David says, I want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Remember, Jonathan helped David. He hid him from Saul and warned him that Saul was going to kill him. In fact, in in chapter 18, the Bible says Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Now, Jonathan was half his age, or David was half Jonathan's age. Jonathan's about 40, David's a teenager, and he loves David. It's an interesting kinship, an interesting relationship. It's interesting how you can meet someone and you don't have anything in common with that person other than Jesus, and you can have a great relationship with him. One of my good friends down in Marietta was a piano player. He was a piano player. He was a little frail guy, about five foot six, 120 or 30 pounds. And when I got to know him and we became really good friends and we had absolutely nothing in common. You know, I was big and he was small. I was athletic and he was musically inclined and I, well, there were so many other things, but we were very close. Why? Because of the Lord. Because of Jesus. Because we had that common thing. We were both children of God. and In other words, we were brothers in Christ. And Jonathan was like that to David. He just just treated David so good. And David wanted to show him kindness. Kindness is a great thing. It comes from God. Every good thing comes from the Father above. But think about kindness in the Bible. Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. In fact, the kindness comes before the forgiveness there in that verse. Are you kind to people who hurt you? Are you kind to people who don't know the Lord? Kindness is great. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is kind. I, I like 
First, Second Peter 1, 7, add to brotherly love kindness. Are you kind? Are you kind? Years ago, I was a teenager. Of course, we were all teenagers years ago. And uh, it was bright, wasn't it? Brilliant. Um, and we did a church play and, and a musical type thing, and uh, it really, really, we thought it went great. And there was one guy in the church like this, and a couple of us asked one of the leaders of the church, didn't he like it? He didn't act like he liked it. He said, he doesn't like anything. He's always grouchy. And, you know, I didn't think much of it then, but I thought back during that time, and I thought, I hope that church people don't see me as grouchy. Wouldn't that be sad? I hope no one sees you as grouchy. You know, you've heard that old joke. You wake up grouchy, no, I let him sleep. You know, but sometimes you, you know people who profess to be believers and you think, what is wrong with them? Did they drink pickle juice? Dill pickle juice at that. They're grouchy. You always have a, an attitude of, I don't want to be here, you know. And, 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 and that's not what a Christian should be. We should be sweet and kind and loving. Now, we all have our bad times, you know. But kindness is a wonderful thing, and I don't want to leave this world people saying, boy, that guy was a grouch. I, I don't miss him at all. I've known people that are grouchy. You've known people that are grouchy, and some of you know people you're married to that are grouchy. I didn't mean to slip that one in there. but uh, We know that Jonathan was kind to David, and David was kind to Jonathan. I love that relationship. But let's look here at verse 3. Let's look at the predicament of sinners here in verse 3. The Bible says that he wanted to show kindness, uh, you know, the kindness of God unto him, and Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath the son which is lame on his feet. I mean, he's just like all sinners, spiritually crippled, worthless, and helpless. But notice in verse 5, And King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Makar, the son of Amnon, from Lobadar. So the king sought him out. David is a type of Christ. Jonathan, or I mean, Mephibosheth is a type of a sinner. What happens here? Just like Jesus sought us out, the king is seeking out the crippled. Oh, we, like sheep, were gone astray. I mean, we're all fallen. And the Bible said Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Just like David sought out this crippled man who would be seen as worthless and helpless by society, God seeks out you who are worthless and helpless without Jesus Christ in your life. In fact, the Bible says you're already dead. So he seeks him out. He finds him. And he finds Mephibosheth. And, and we know that, that he was considered, by all accounts, basically a worthless man. Society saw him and thought, what a pity. What a pity this man can't walk, he can't get ready. They didn't have the things we had. He didn't have a motorized wheelchair, I can tell you that. He had to have somebody take care of him, probably was abandoned much of his life. And it's interesting because being the grandson of King Saul didn't save him. Didn't save him. And so he, he comes to David and, and the Bible says, and he, 
he's, he's a fallen man, and, and the Bible says in verse 7, and David said unto him, fear not. He appears before David, and in verse 6, he falls on his face. I mean, he's already crippled. Somebody has to carry him in, and then he flops down on his face before the king, shaken, no doubt, wondering what's going to happen to me. And the king said, fear not. I like that. Sometime it'd be good for you to study all the fear nots of the Bible. I think of so many. And David, of course, said it from Mephibosheth. But think of all the times God said it. I have 13 different or 15, 16 different occasions here where God says, fear not. To people in the Bible with Abraham, remember, he said, fear not. Joshua, conquering great cities, fear not. He said it to Daniel. He said it to Mary. Paul, when he was afraid to preach, and he says it to you. Hello, I am with you always. Don't fear what man can do unto you. Fear God and fear Him reverently. And if you live a life for Him, you have nothing to fear because your sin is gone. It's as far as the east is from the west. So far hath He removed my transgression from me. And so here we, we find here, He says, fear not. But notice in verse 8, He tells him to fear not, but... Uh, you know, he, he said, I'm going to show you kindness in verse 7, and you can eat at my table continually. We'll talk about that later. But what does is, what is Mephibosheth do? He bows himself, and he says, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I? Uh, you know, a dead dog uh, as I am. I mean, I'm just worthless. I'm dead. Dogs is what I was going to talk about tonight. I have a wonderful little dog that I love. First dog I've loved in a long time. Dogs and I have a love-hate relationship. Normally they love me and I hate most dogs, but I've got this one that got my heart. But it'll lick the dirtiest things and then want to lick me in the face. It'll lick our other little dog and then want to lick me in the face. And I'm like, whoa, this is nasty. And I, I hate to break this theological deep, deep point to you, but all dogs don't go to heaven. I, I hope in the millennial kingdom, if we could have a dog, I'd have this one back. And he wouldn't shed, or she wouldn't shed, and all that stuff. But we love dogs, but dogs are nasty. They're nasty. Dogs are dirty according to the law. Deuteronomy said they're an abomination. You can't eat them. Unless you're in Taiwan and you have my wife's dog. When she was a girl, they ate her dog. Uh, doggone it, that must have really frustrated them. It's a, it's a great pun there. You'll get it in a minute. But anyway, uh, you know, Philippians says, beware of dogs, and that's really referring to Judaizers who taught that you had to be, uh, you know, keeping the, the law and be circumcised to go to heaven. It says, beware of the dogs. Religious people are referred to as dogs, and the dog is a type of a sinner. Goliath said, am I a dog, David, that you come out here with a sling? Well, actually, he was just as dead as a dog. Mephibosheth says, I'm a dead dog. In, in Philippians 3, 2, beware of dogs, and it talks about those of the circumcision. Isaiah says, dogs are dumb and dogs are greedy. I have these two dogs, and the, the one I like bigger than the other one, and um, I will bring home a treat sometimes or something, and... and uh, I'll take the bigger part and I'll throw it to the other side of the porch and the big dog goes to get it and I'll drop the little piece for the little dog and before he gets there, he'll come back and try and get the little piece and he knows he can keep his. It's greedy. Just like sinners. Just like sinners. Revelation says they're all outside the gate. 
And now that's talking, talking about physical dogs, obviously, but it's talking about sinners. It says, for without or outside the gate are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers. And that's really speaking about sinners. God, Jesus Christ said, don't give that which is holy to the hypocrites, to the dogs. It says it's a word, dogs. Uh, in Matthew 15, it says that dogs, a Gentile woman comes and says, Lord, I want to be saved, basically. I'm paraphrasing. He says, no. Uh, it's not, you know, the kingdom is for the Jews. He was reaching the Jews first, remember, before he reached the Gentile. And she said, well, even the dogs should get the crumbs from the king's table. And he said, I've not seen that kind of faith. And he saved that lady. But again, the dog is a type of a sinner. And Mephibosheth said, I'm just a dead dog. Why would you want to do anything for me? You know, when God saves us, we have to wonder why. We know our own hearts. We know our own past. We know our own filthy minds. Jeremiah says our heart is desperately wicked. Romans says we can get to the point where we have a depraved mind. We certainly have a carnal mind. If we reject God long enough, we have a depraved mind and a defiled conscience. We're just not good. Even Paul said after being saved that there was nothing good in his flesh. Did you know all your flesh does is bad? The good in you is the Lord in you. It's the soul. It's the spirit. It's not the flesh. And so here he says, I'm just a dead dog. Now we notice the predicament of sinners, but notice the power of the master in verse 9. Then the king called Ziba Saul's servant and said unto him, I have given unto the master's son all that pertaineth to Saul and to all his house. Remember, Mephibosheth recognized his greatness and bowed down before the king. Here the king says, I'm giving him everything. He's going to inherit everything from Saul's house. Did you know I'm joint heirs with Jesus and you are also joint heirs with Jesus if you know him? You're joint heirs with him. You're inheriting eternity in heaven, and you're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ in everything God has to offer. Wow, is that awesome to be a joint heir. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those, even to them that believe in his name. Because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're part of his family and you're joint heirs with everything. Quit worrying about what's going on in this world. You're joint heirs with the King of Kings. I've told people I have a retirement house that's out of this world. It literally is out of this world. The streets are clear gold, pure gold. I have so much to look forward to, the river of life and the fruit trees and the new heavens are going to come down on a new earth and, and forever and ever and ever we'll be with Jesus as joint heirs with all that God offers. And you know what He offers in this life? He offers riches and mercy and riches and grace. Maybe you won't be rich financially as the televangelists tell you if you give to their ministry, you'll be rich but you'll be rich in grace and mercy if you walk with Jesus. And that's the wealth I've experienced in my life. God is so good. He's so good. He's so good all the time. I like that little chorus. He's good all the time. God is, the Bible tells us God is good. God is love. God is kind. We know that. And so here, He, he controls it all. 
Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even imagine. Think of that. Anything you think he can do greater than that. That's my God. That's kindness and that's love and that's grace. And he bestows it all upon me. David was an absolute monarch. And he could give anything to Mephibosheth he wanted to give him. And he said, I'm giving him all. He's going to get all of what was Saul's because of Jonathan. You know what? God says we have it all because of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Thank God for Jesus. I mean, think of all he did on Calvary. And then notice the position of the saints. I mean, this is amazing. We pick up in verse 10. Verse 9 says he gave them all. Verse 10 says, Therefore, now therefore, and thy sons and all, and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring the forth the fruits. I mean, you're going to do all this farming for him, and that thy master's son may have food to eat. And Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. <laughs> Come and dine, the master. The Bible says we will feast at his table all the time. Did you know that we will feast with Jesus continually, forever and ever and ever? I can't wait till the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hey, I think ice cream's good. Just think of heavenly food. It's going to be better than all the things I love, and I'm going to feast and dine with Jesus. And the fellowship here, think of the fellowship. Here's Mephibosheth. Comes in, and, and God saved him, and now he can sit with the king. And David can talk about all those stories of Jonathan. Let me tell you about your daddy and I. And tell him how great his daddy was. And I'm sure Mephibosheth was just sitting in awe thinking, here I am. People clean me up now. They carry me to the table. I get all I want to eat. I get to sit with the king and fellowship with him. This is, must be like heaven. And that's what God does with us. We get to feast at his table and fellowship with God. And it says it again two more times, several times. Verse 11. Then Ziba said unto the king, According to all that the Lord thy king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's what? Sons. What a type. What a type. Look at verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Now what we experience now, our fellowship with God, is only a little tiny picture of things to come. You see, even though he was given this privilege as joint heir to be able to sit with the king, he was still crippled. I, Paul said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You know, he's talking about his sinful body. There's a custom amongst the Romans that if you were a criminal, you'd have to, and you, you were a murderer, you had to carry a dead body around uh, for a while to let people know you were just a rotten, guilty person. Do you know we carry a dead body around? Ephesians says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You carry a dead, depraved body around. I mean, you, you may, if you're young, you probably think, well, I, I'm glad I still have a good body. Just give it time. 
Give it time. Everything starts to sag and hang. Your chin and your stomach and your knee. And you look down and everything's just hanging. You look in the mirror and say, Dad, is that, that, who is that old guy in the mirror? What happened? It's our bodies dying. Your body's dying. It's appointed on men once to die. We have dead bodies. And we have to live with that for as long as God says, but our fellowship, while sweet, is nothing comparable to what's going to take place in glory. And if that doesn't excite you, then something's wrong in your heart. No matter what you're going through, what do you say, Mephibosheth? Don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you. You know what God says to you? Don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you. But pastor, you don't know, you don't know my health situation. He does. And you'll sit at his table for eternity. And you won't be crippled anymore. You don't know my financial situation. He does. And he gives a promise to everyone. And people often misquote Philippians 4.19, which says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. The context there is churches that gave to missions. But let's go over to Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and what? His what? Righteousness. And food, clothing, and shelter will be provided for you. You say you paraphrase that I did. You can read those verses. And all these things shall be added unto you. You say, I'm in desperate financial, bad situation. God will take care of you if you live righteously. The psalmist said the righteous don't have to beg for bread. I believe in helping the homeless, but when I see a homeless man, I know he's not righteous because he wouldn't be there begging. And I can't fault him because I, by God's grace, if it weren't for God's grace, I'd be right there. Some people had jobs and lost their jobs during a bad economy and their wives abandoned them and their health failed and they find themselves homeless and without needing to hold up a sign for help. And that's sad. So, so we do give. We do give, but we recognize circumstances brought him there and those circumstances could have been mine. Could have been mine. You say, Pastor, I have a broken relationship with a child or a parent, and you don't understand. I know this. The one who can reconcile that relationship is God. You live righteously, and as we learned Wednesday night, you pray faithfully. Like that lady did, kept going to the judge, kept saying, can you help me? Can you help me? And he said, because of her continual coming to me, I'm going to answer that prayer. I'm going to help this lady. It's a type of prayer. It's like God's saying to us, just keep coming to me. I'm a righteous judge and I care. Sometimes you'll pray for things 20, 30, 40 years. I shared that wonderful story with you a few weeks ago about that lady that prayed for her husband and didn't know he'd gotten saved until after the man who led him to the Lord came and said he got saved. She said, well, that's the day he died. He never made it home. God answers prayer. Maybe not in this life and maybe not on our timetable. But he makes everything beautiful in his time. And no matter what's going on in your life, if you trust in him, you're joint heirs forever and ever and ever. And if you have never trusted in him, you're a dead dog. You're already dead. John 3.18 says you're already condemned. But repentance 
is an about face. We'll talk about repentance tonight, but it's an about face. It's a change. And God works the change because I couldn't change without him. Now, I was saved at 12, but already I saw the sin in my life. I was already stealing and doing some things I shouldn't have done. And God saved me and moved on the inside and began to change. I know people that were saved later in life from terrible, deep sin. And boy, I look at them and say, they have so much joy. It's because they've had a lot of grace. I've had a lot of grace, but some people have had a lot more grace. Grace always exceeds our sin. Did you know that? If you have a great amount of sin, you'll get a great amount of grace. Read those Bible stories about God's grace. And today we thank God for His grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. And Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't experienced the grace of God, help them to come today and say, Pastor, I want to experience that grace. Lord, you've already been seeking them. You've already convicted them. In fact, by your sovereign plan, they're here this morning. Help them to examine their heart and be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Anyone, Lord, even if it's a church member who thinks they were saved but now realizes today they've never been born again, they depended on their relationship with the family patriarch or matriarch. And Jonathan couldn't be healed even though he was Saul's grandson. And Lord, we can't be healed from our diseases and sin because we need to be born again to experience that kind of healing. So I pray, God, for anyone here that's not a Christian. Others, Lord, that need to come and say, I want to thank God for his grace. I sometimes am not appreciative of all that God has done for me. And I forget about heaven. I get and I set my affection on things of the earth and not on things above. And I, I ask God to forgive me for that. And I want to thank him for his grace. I don't know the hearts here, Lord, but you do. And I just pray you'll speak not only this morning, but continue to speak. Bless now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.